In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Olivia Summerhill is our guest this week on Money Tales. Olivia grew up in an ultra high net worth family. She says they were very privileged and had everything they ever wanted. Extracurricular activities were the norm, private tutors, private school, and really big family gatherings at fancy resorts. From the outside, it all looked perfect. Olivia tells us that when she was young, the family's large custom home in the gated community was the facade of perfectionism. However, the family was keeping her parents and pending divorce a secret inside the house. This is when Olivia witnessed money being used to exert power and control, and she witnessed the devastation and emotions of both her parents. This experience shaped Olivia's purpose and the career choices she made. Today, Olivia is the founder of the Summerhill Firm, where she helps affluent women maintain their lifestyles and thrive post-divorce by educating and empowering them financially. Olivia dedicates her time to protecting women. Her niche serves famous and high-profile women who need help navigating the financial complexities of divorce. She also consults with financial advisors and family offices to help their clients avoid divorce mistakes. Here are three key Money Tales conversation topics Olivia hits on in this conversation. First, how when she was in her 20s, Olivia intentionally acted like a guy to present as successful and stable. Second, the importance of having money confidence. Olivia tells us that 87% of educated women still defer the finances in the relationship to their male counterpart, thinking he has more confidence. And third, how it only takes one person to speak vulnerably about money to get others talking. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now onto our conversation with Olivia Summerhill. Hi, Money Tales listeners. Really excited to have another fantastic conversation here today. Sandy, how are you? I'm doing great, Cami. I finally saw the new Elvis movie and I got to see Baz Luhrmann afterwards. He was the director, writer, producer, and it was fascinating. I learned something I didn't know before, which was Elvis Presley was a victim of financial abuse by his manager. What? I know. That's amazing. I didn't know that story either. It is amazing. And it's not something we talk about a lot on Money Tales. So I thought it was worth mentioning because financial abuse is prevalent. It can often be linked to domestic violence because money can be used to control people. 
that wasn't part of the Elvis story, but I'm just saying more generally speaking, I think having productive money conversations is so important because if we're not sure that we're having a good relationship around money in our loving relationship with people that we're living with and close to, talking about it with others can really help us understand if what we're experiencing is normal, um, whether it's extreme, whether there's actions to be taken. And certainly if anyone has any questions out there, please reach out to Cami and me through LinkedIn. We would be delighted to chat with you and put you in touch with people who can help out because uh, like I said, it's very serious and very dangerous. Sandy, thanks for raising it. It's such an important message. And the idea that if we talk more with each other about money, it can also uncover things that maybe you assume is normal. So really appreciate you bringing that to light. Yeah. And I did want to mention, I understand that people who are victims of financial abuse often feel manipulated, embarrassed, shame. It can be really hard to have these conversations. So I, I do want to acknowledge that. But um, if you can get past that fear and discomfort, that there's so much good that I believe can come. Finding the right people to help can really change a person's life in a better direction. Indeed. All right. Well, let's transition over to our guest today. Welcome, Olivia Summerhill, to the Money Tales podcast. Thanks for having me today. I'm very excited. Would you start us off with an introduction? Tell us a little bit about yourself and particularly two to three pivotal moments that you've experienced that really impacted who you are today. Well, I'm Olivia Summerhill and I work in the financial realm with ultra high net worth women who are trying to go through the most devastating part in their life, which is usually the divorce. So in my career path, I worked as a wealth manager and a private banker. And I would say, because of pivotal moments in my life, two of them mostly in my childhood that revolved around my parents' divorce and then becoming financially independent myself really chose the path of where I wanted to be financially and also my career path on who I helped. Those childhood pivotal moments kind of transitioned and, and changed me into who I am today. It really is an impactful time of our lives. Could we go back in time, Olivia, and tell us a little bit about your upbringing and, and how money conversations happened, how you learned money values through your upbringing? I grew up in an ultra high net worth family and we're very privileged, had everything we ever wanted. Extracurricular activities were the norm, private tutors, private school, lots of really big family gatherings at fancy resorts um, as an extended family. My family was involved in international family businesses. So I got to see growing up a lot of the conversations around money were about the business. So we did talk about it, but I was kind of the outlier of watching it as a child. And you know, all the cousins and families, uncles were a part of actually growing the business. So a lot of the holidays were talking about money and, and the business itself. And so I loved that world. And I got to see a lot of, if you want to make it, in my mind, it was, you have to start a business, you have to save money. And also give to charity was a big thing for our family. So I had the little buckets as a kid, uh, the saving bucket, the spending bucket, and then the giving away bucket. And I loved counting money as a child. <laughs> Say more about that. Yeah. I call it buckets, but we had little jars 
I just loved the change and the dollar bills. I think that was my earliest money memory. And this is what I asked the clients is, what is your earliest money memory? And so everyone here listening today, we can think of our own, but mine was having that money jar and counting out the one that was a charity and being able to buy the toy for the person that I was going to give the toy to and going to their house and giving them the toy. That showed me money can have power. Yeah. Independence but also it has the freedom to give back in ways that I thought was meaningful. And it stuck with me. That image is just like it happened yesterday. And I could have been four or five years old. Olivia, I'm so glad you're bringing this to life. And I think you're highlighting a strategy that's very effective. And I'm curious, how has that strategy manifested in you as an adult? So I got into finance when I was 20, 21 years old, helping families who had wealth give back to others, to whatever philanthropic endeavor they wanted, to their foundations. And I quickly saw saving was a big part of that. So I was in banking, talking about saving, wealth management, talking about savings and growing your assets and also giving back. And I became a chartered philanthropic advisor where it was all about giving your money to other places. So what is the biggest impact you can make? What values do you actually consider in your philanthropic giving? I correlated to my childhood of seeing my family give back and them instilling that into me, or at least me wanting to be a part of the philanthropic endeavors. I joined a lot of boards in my 20s and realized you can go overboard. And maybe it's for the ego almost of, oh, I'm just giving to everyone and I'm giving money and time. And then you realize you need to find your values and what you want to give back and really hone in and make it special to you if you want to give time and money, because it can be either. Hey, Olivia, you mentioned earlier about your parents' divorce. Can you tell us what it was like for you experiencing that divorce? Being used as a pawn in a very devastating, high-powered, controlling, manipulative, financially, it was all related to the money and the divorce for the parents. It was devastating. I didn't know it at the time because I didn't realize. How old were you, Olivia? Oh gosh, I probably was 12 to 13, maybe. I didn't realize we had this facade of the custom massive house that every one of my friends was locked in when they would come over. And we had that facade of perfectionism and the the gated community where no one would know the secrets that was going on of the divorce. And once we had the child services and the police involved and the questioning and the divorce actually happening, that's when the power and control with money started to happen. And you saw the devastation and emotions of both parents. And I, I say I didn't really know how I felt then because I shut it off completely. I got into finance because I didn't want anyone to control me with any money, just like my parents had seen. You know, I'd seen my mom not have any control over money and didn't realize still in my mid 20s and late 20s that it still affected me until I did the the work on myself and went to therapy and realized that divorce affected me and my siblings way more than my parents ever knew because they fought over money. And that's, again, why I I got into finance for, for different reasons. And I got into the philanthropic giving for different reasons. And now I own my own firm just to talk with women about divorce and the finances and, and level the playing field so that they're not scared, basically like my mom was. Was your mom talking with you about her fears at that time? 
she was showing it. She was showing it. In the wrong ways. Uh, She was showing her fears and elevating her emotions and not taking time to actually get the right resources around her. And she was doing the best she was willing to do at the time. But I still see this in my practice today that women don't know where the accounts are, the financial accounts. They don't know where to start with the divorce process. They weren't the ones in charge of the finances. 87% of educated women still defer the finances and the relationship to the male counterpart, thinking that he has more confidence. And that's something that I hope is shifting. And these conversations we're having today, I'm so excited about because this, just if one person can listen today and think of their earliest money memory and really have conversations with their friends about their money history and what their fears are around money, maybe we will see less divorce and less children affected negatively. Let's hope so, Olivia. And we appreciate you sharing with us your experiences. And I'm wondering if we just went a little bit deeper. It sounds like seeing especially what your mom was going through when your parents were divorcing had a really huge impact on you and has impacted your relationship with money. At the time, you said you were kind of blocking things out. Do you recall how you were thinking about money and orienting toward money at that time beyond building this fire in your belly to become financially independent someday and make your own decisions? So I saw from a young age, it was all the men in my families that ran the business. And so I always thought of if I were just a guy, I could actually own the business and I could actually become successful in that way. So I saw it from a very different viewpoint. And the divorce was the same thing as, oh my gosh, it's it's the men in control and he has the power. He's the one who knows what to do next. So for me, I blocked as much as I could out, but I always knew the things that I want is going to be around financial independence. And if I actually can go the route that most men in my family went and own a business and actually be able to give back how I want, that's how I'll be able to get out. I'm curious, Olivia, what's your relationship like with your family today? So after I went to the about two years of therapy to really develop a sense of who I left behind as that 12-year-old. I have not had a relationship with anyone in my family since then. And it was healthiest for me at the time. And it's still healthiest now because what I've seen in, in our family, these speaking of mine, is money does not equal happiness, but money can create a conflict if you don't address it. And that's again why these conversations, being able to talk about it and what I grasp with clients and really pull out of them is talking about those emotions so they don't create chaos in a family, which just is a ripple effect in the lake where it doesn't just affect you, it affects all of the family members. So for me, I don't have a relationship with family and that's healthiest for me and I'm okay with that, but that's not the norm. Yeah, it's not the norm and I appreciate you sharing that. Olivia, what's your relationship with money today? Ah, so when I was going to therapy, I actually hired a money coach and did my own money coaching on myself because my relationship used to be money is power, money is control. You could give back a ton of money, but it's still there and it's still going to create anxiety if you don't understand your relationship with it. 
So I went through a very intense time to, to make sure that I actually used it in the right ways and had a purpose behind it. So I had to do my own value search on what does it mean to me and really came up with my own diagram to move forward in a healthier way. Because I also didn't want to become my parents. I didn't want to have an atrocious divorce and I didn't want money to own me. I also didn't want someone else to own me and control me with money, but those needed to be talked about. So I had to go through my own money coaching process. I'm so glad you're sharing. It sounds like that process would be very difficult based on the lifestyle you led as a young person, based on this very pivotal divorce that you witnessed your parents going through and that you went through as part of that ripple effect that you mentioned. How did you do this work? How did you approach it? Because it just sounds so hard. So for all of my 20s, I avoided, I, I put on like a little shield and I just thought it was be successful, don't look at your past, have no emotions. And so for a long time, I just started doing Ironmans, really became a big triathlete, didn't feel any emotions. So I could just go six hours working out and not actually feel. That's how I I approached it. That's not healthy. Olivia, this is amazing because speaking with you today, I cannot even imagine that for you. (laughs) I know, I know. So I literally, if you saw me a few years ago, I wouldn't show emotions because I wanted to be more in my mind business-like, professional, man-driven, because I'm in a financial world, I need to act like a guy so that I can get ahead and I'll be successful financially and stable. So all of those years, I was very driven, thought success was working more, make more, give back more, and not address your childhood, no emotions. And I, I got as many degrees and designations and education and finance as you possibly could, never thinking that maybe I'm already enough. I'm already enough. Someone here listening today, hopefully you know you're already enough. You don't need to have more education. You don't need to push yourself more in in the physical aspects or wherever it may be. So with that all being said, the hardest part was stopping and resting and acknowledging your past for me and showing those emotions and letting them come. So those two years of work that I did with therapy and money coaching and understanding myself and actually expressing emotions and talking about where I came from. Because as a child, you know that was the extravagant lifestyle. That was normal. I was around that society. And then I cut myself off, right? I wanted nothing to do with the trust funds, with inheritance, with family drama. I cut myself off, especially because of the divorce and shielded myself. But in my 20s, I pretended I didn't come from money. I drove for eight years a Kia Rio. Like I could have afforded a Maserati. Did I drive Maserati? No, because I wanted to pretend that I was not part of the ultra high net worth world. So money coaching, now I can express where I came from. I'm satisfied with my my life and I'm enough. I don't have to overwork or overtrain. So that's a very long answer, but I hope someone else here can relate. I think it's it's really good because we do we cover this stuff up in our own way. And I have to ask, you cut yourself off from money and security, but also what you've told us, power and control. How did you do that? I take a deep breath when I talk about this and I'm holding my hands, my heart, because it's still tough. I had to cut off and understand that that was a really pivotal, good moment for me because If you look back now, I could be living a different lifestyle 
And I actually now am involved in a lot of new organizations and memberships for millennials who have ultra high net worth or came from ultra high net worth and want to give back in different ways than their parents and their other generational wealth, you know, ways and means of wealth gave back. So I'm finding communities and that's how I'm dealing with it at this point, finding people that are similar and have these struggles. Because if you talk to someone randomly off the side of the street, they're going to say, oh my gosh, that's not a problem. Like that's just pathetic that you're thinking that way. You That's not a problem to come from ultra high net worth. And so I actually also started my own community and that's for millennials who have shame or secrecy or embarrassment or didn't want the trust fund that came from potentially dirty money. There's a lot of fields that we need to address nowadays with the emotions as younger generations accept money or don't accept money from their family. It brings up a lot of emotions for whole families to dive into. I'm getting my communities together the last few years. Olivia, that's so inspiring. I'm wondering, are you finding that the peers that have become part of these communities are open about these topics and talking about them? So if you look at a room and you have one person who can be vulnerable about their money story and have these conversations, you can see the walls drop in the hearts of the other people, just visually. It's just a beautiful thing when someone feels safe enough. Like right now, I feel safe enough to talk to you both. It is a wonderful thing to be able to come on and have these conversations. And so the communities, like the 1% Institute that I created, when you have women and men in a room who are the same age range, they have the similar things that they're going through in life stages, and they come from this world that has a burden attached to it. If one person in the room can share their story, the others absolutely I have seen become vulnerable. So it is a lot easier than expected. I did not expect that, but also you have to do the work and show emotions before you can even address address the next step. (laughs) And there's power and vulnerability. So I'm really glad that you're reminding listeners about that. We're all we're all dominoes. We can be inspired by the next person. And it sounds like you've been a great instigator of that. Olivia, would you describe how you start with a new client? I think it's really amazing how you've developed this business that's very focused and really aligned with your experiences. Where do you start? I start with listening. It is the easiest job in the world. (laughs) I I love the answer that I just listening. So her situation is devastating in every way for her. I will never be able to say I'm walking in her shoes and knows how she feels, but just being able to have someone listen as an advocate who has no conflict of interest, who's not a family member or a friend, I'm non-emotional third party, Having her just be able to have someone listen is the first step. So I listen, and then we go into the action-oriented, fix whatever problem is really right there, which typically is just she needs some questions answered about the divorce or what she should do next. And then we go into values. It is literally the same conversation that anyone and everyone should have. Doesn't matter if you're in divorce or not, is knowing your values 
as a couple. So if someone's listening here and you're married or you're in a significant relationship yourself, or if you're about to get divorced and you want your new identity to know who you want to be post-divorce, doesn't matter. Values. There's a lot of stuff to talk about with values. And I play a few games with clients to get them to their top five that are meaningful for them. And then we can have that trajectory of where we want to go in the divorce in an impactful way that lowers the emotion because there's no reason to fight in divorce if you know what you want. And it's never about the finances like we think it is. No, it's not. (laughs) Everything gets blamed on the money, but usually it's about the relationships and the dynamics. Olivia, I'm curious, as you were describing the work, you said that divorce is devastating. And I want to dig into that a little bit because it doesn't have to be, right? So I love what you're doing with your clients, getting to know them, hearing their story, understanding their values based on your own experience and your career experience. What can individuals who are going through divorce do to make the process better? Because sometimes marriages just aren't meant to be forever. They come to an end and um, it doesn't have to be devastating. What are your thoughts there? It does not have to be devastating. I agree with you. I actually think the one thing that I love hearing from clients the most is when it's inspiring. It's actually a positive thing that they have a new identity. And that's one of the words I like to talk about a lot is really moving forward in a positive way. And when you have the right values in line with who you want to be, divorce does not have to be devastating. Such a cultural thing, easy to say really quickly yeah, divorces can be such a bad thing because that's culturally accepted. So when I come into a room and I say, oh my gosh, divorce is so good. People just get thrown off. So I rarely say it when I first talk about it. You know, So thank you for going there because that's obviously I'm in this world of divorce. I think it's a very positive thing. Once you get through that emotional aspect and I'm in financial psychology, behavioral finance. So it's all about the emotions with money. Once you get through those negative quote unquote emotions and you understand where they're coming from, usually that's because of fear. Once you understand that the fear may or may not be valid and you may be making it up in your mind of what you think the significant other will maybe do, then you don't have that fear. You actually will not have a devastating divorce and you both as a couple can collaborate together creatively throughout the divorce process. And then they're both better they move on and then their children, again, they're much better off. (laughs) That makes me wonder about your advice to your clients and to our listeners. If they're going through a divorce and children are involved, what are your tips and tricks for making sure those children are well cared for during the process? There's a few things we can go. There's few avenues on this. The first two big tips I would say is get the right resources around your children and you to support you. And that usually means either co-parenting specialists, so child specialists, therapists that specialize with children and divorce, get a team around you. And I'm going to say right now, if you say that finances is unable to get that. And that's your excuse. You you don't have the finances for it. Call me and we'll go through your excuse. And I'll challenge that a little bit. Because again, money, we can use that as an excuse and maybe not, but that's one thing is really helpful. So using your resources, getting the right team around your children and you to help guide the divorce the proper way. And also just 
not using your children as the in-between mediator. I see this often when someone calls me for a consultation and they're just asking questions. Very briefly, they might bring up the children and actually understanding that when you say a snotty remark or a little sly comment about something your ex is about to do, or if you ask your child to bring this up to your soon-to-be ex, that makes the, chil- the all children so or the child, single child, in a very uncomfortable state. They love you both. Regardless of how old they are, right? They could be adults. children, adults, ch- adult children, doesn't matter. Don't put them in the middle if you can. I know it's the most difficult thing to say. And I'm not in your situation, whoever's listening. So it's very hard for me to say what I believe. But as a professional in this field, absolutely the best thing is you can get your resources, get the right people involved to help your children. And also just do not use them as the mediator or the middleman. Olivia. You're helping these women go through a really tough time in their lives and they come out a butterfly. Tell us how that feels. I think even from the very beginning, even if we talk about it being a tough time, you see that, that I guess we can say the, the cocoon, her cocoon, she's shedding that cocoon layer already after the very first 15 minute consultation. If she just has someone on her side listening or she knows what action steps to take next, or has some kind of answer, that weight is lifted. And it just makes me feel so absolutely positively validated in what I do. Again, I have the easiest job in the world. It's so much fun what I do. You're highlighting the fact that in day-to-day lives, there aren't that many situations when we are truly heard and just listening can be a gift to anyone. Olivia, what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? going to be with my business manager, Krista, and we are going to talk about next year and the year after a business plan. And that's all related to finances. Sounds like an important conversation to be had. Yes. You know, Olivia, thanks for joining us and sharing so much and getting vulnerable and sharing your emotions and sharing your recipe. And what I wrote down is first listen, then solve the burning questions, and then discuss your values. And I think we can all really leverage that recipe in our lives. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.